0: welcome back everyone to another episode of comeback stories i'm here with my man donnie starkins as always i'm super excited for the guests that we have lined up today a guest whose poster i had on my wall as a kid from sports illustrated kids uh magazine a man that you guys that. would know for yeah man that was that was those the days right there but someone you may know for running wild on the football field uh for Texas Longhorns, Miami Dolphins but a man who is showing us as time goes along how how many gifts are on the inside of him, how much more he is than just a football player. Excited to welcome Ricky Williams to the show today. Ricky, great to have you, man. Wow,
1: I think that's probably one of the best intros I think I've ever received. <laughs> So seriously, thank you.
0: Nah, of course, man. Um, we always love to start the show asking people what life was like for them growing up, but I want to change it up today. I want to ask you: When was the first moment you started to feel a bit of an itch or a tug that was telling you there's got to be more to life than what I'm experiencing right now? You know, it's a good question.
1: It happened um, as soon as I finished uh, at Texas, and you know, it was a it was a big goal of mine. To, to win the Heisman Trophy. You know, when I was a freshman at Texas, my email address was Heisman at heisman.utexas.edu. <laughs> so I went, I like, that was, my, I was so, like, laser-focused on, on being the best. Uh, and to me, that rep- was represented by the Heisman Trophy. And so after I won the trophy, um, I, I didn't really dream beyond that. So it was kind of, what's the next logical step? And it right. was going to the NFL. And as soon as I went into that mode and I didn't have a dream anymore, then... I started to say, there must be, there, there's gotta be something more than this.
0: Mm. And yeah, I know that, you know, that feeling had to have followed you through your time in the league, followed you through a lot of circumstances, a lot of different occurrences, and it, that it may have gotten a little stronger, that, that voice may have gotten a little louder. When did you really start to truly follow that voice with intention?
1: It's funny because you know it's it's nice to say the voice gets louder, but it's more the the life gets more uncomfortable, mm. you know, yes. <laughs> right? Because as the voice gets louder, you have to do more to try to quiet it down, and so, um, you know, and and it's, it's interesting because especially when the voice is telling you something that is so against what everyone else is telling, you know. Mm. Uh, so I, I heard the voice a bunch of times, you know. Maybe I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't be playing football. You know, and I thought, you know, one off season, I started getting back in baseball shape, you know, thinking, okay, I'm going to stop doing this and do something different. But it was just baseball because I I don't think I I had a wide enough idea of what what I was capable of beyond just being a really good football player, because for the most part, I was a smart football player, but that's only among football players, you know, and it wasn't until I finally got the courage to, to like do what I really wanted to do and travel around the world that I, that I started to, to activate those other parts of myself. You know, as I started traveling around the world, I started meeting people who had no idea I was a football player. So I started getting, uh, you know, reflected back to me, different parts of myself that people liked. And so those parts of me started to grow and I realized I have so much more value to, to give to the world than just running up and down a football field. And, and, you know, those other ways, they felt better and they hurt less. Mm. <laughs> they didn't pay as well at the time, <laughs> but but internally, they, they were much more rewarding.
0: Mm. That's, that's amazing. I'd, I'd love for you to describe, like, what were some of the emotions and the thoughts were of maybe being recognized as this great football player, but but nothing more than that. A lot of people look in, like, there are people that are stopping and looking through this glass, like, all the time it's recording this show. looking are doing it right now. And they're just like, oh, like football player, like this, that, and the third. And it's like, I don't know, they think that our life, there could be no wrong. It's, it's so perfect. It's, it's all we could have ever imagined. But a lot of times in my career, I felt the complete opposite. And could you describe like what it feels like to see those people and think that it's one thing and it be the complete opposite?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, it, it 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 took a while for me even to like appreciate other people's perspective. You know, especially again, when I got into the NFL, it was it was under some kind of internal like la- lack of like purpose you know and so it was superficial you know and so i was like playing the game you know doing what i so i thought i was i was like them i thought i was supposed to have everything and be living the dream too but again the the loud voice of my internal experience of when i go home and close the door i feel empty you know that, that's what can cons- that's what consumed me. I was so stuck in that it was hard for me to to, to appreciate other people's other people's perspective um, but but what what I did notice and I think what did affect me was you know when I was in college in, in Texas, I was the kid from California who was you know more liberal and had different ideas and, and it was kind of part of my it was like part of my personality. so it was it was a positive thing. And it was appreciated. So I would share my interesting ideas, and people would love it. And I, and I so I felt I, I had some kind of value beyond just being a football player. And I think that balance is why I had so much like success. And I get to the NFL, and I start talking to the reporters, and I'm being the same person I was at Texas, but it's interpreted completely different. I'm you know weird and aloof and all these different things. And so when who what the things that I truly valued about myself. Weren't being valued by other people. That that was the hardest thing for me, and that felt like being invisible.
0: Mm-hmm. I've seen you talk on uh, multiple occasions talking about being comfortable being weird. That's something that took me a long time to figure out. I was always a people pleaser since I was a kid. That the way that I showed up in the world, people were always like, "Why? People my skin color. Why do you talk like that? Why do you act like that? Why do you hang mm. around people like that? Why are you interested in these things?" And so. You know, very early on, it became like okay, being weird or being different is bad, as opposed to being weird, being different is a unique gift that only I possess. The ability to be this way, and I I appreciate you, and I love that point so much because the inner child in me is like, yes, like I wish I would have had this long so long ago. But it's like, how how did you? When did you start to really embrace that the weirdness about you and begin to see it in such a light?
1: Yeah. So again, growing up, growing up in California, there's already a kind of expectation that people are going to be a little more individual. Okay, so so there's that's the that's the lays the ground the groundwork. And then in California, it's it's, it's like I went to I was bused into to a a predominantly like, white school. And, you know, in California, they they created a track system. And it was a way to, to make integration work because they integrated the schools but they said we'll test all the students and the ones that test in the a group will keep them in the advanced track and the ones that don't will keep them in the b track and really what they were saying is we'll separate them by by race okay but i happen to be one of the rare people in in the school that tested up and so i was in the upper track so this this feeling of always being different it was just part of my identity because i was always different than everyone else around me and even going to texas you know being the guy from california i was always different and it, but it, so it was integrated into my to who i was and so weird was was for the most part a positive thing you know i hadn't i hadn't learned enough about myself to realize how weird i was but i was just weird enough to find that sweet spot okay and then when i get to the nfl i get weird like it is it, not so cool you know, there was a, a more expect, an expectation to, to conform to a certain image of what people thought a, a warrior football player was supposed to be. And so that's when I started to become more sensitive to how different I was, because it was the first time where being myself wasn't wasn't getting a, a pleasant response. And so, you know, I, then I tried to pretend to be like everyone else, but that didn't work. And I felt that you know, I wasn't very good mm-hmm. at it. Um, and so all I was left with was, uh, I guess I got to be myself.
2: Mm. I, I've heard in both of your stories, some synergies that um, I just wanted to bring up because I've heard your story and I obviously know Darren's story about, Darren has talked about this many times and not, about not feeling black enough. And I've heard you say where well, you're, mm. whi- you're too white for your black friends and too black for your white friends. Or I think I've heard you use the analogy of an Oreo cookie where your friends would say you were black on the outside, but white on the inside. And this is Darren's Ooh. core wound, which For drove sure. him, drove him to his, the depths Ooh. of his addiction. So that piece, and then the being different, right. Those are the kind of the two things where I'm like, wow, I can't wait to get these two guys together. These amazing, beautiful souls to chop it up and have the, have these similar backgrounds.
0: Yeah. That's, that's wow. where that's where, that's-, it, that's where it begins because it's like, you know, you, you look at drugs and, and alcohol and things like that. And it's all like, I just want to change the way that I feel. And it's like, as you look mm. back and peel back the layers and uncover, like, why do I want to change the way that I feel so desperately? The beginning phases of that were when I was a kid and when, you know, the friends in my neighborhood were white and I was just playing with them outside because they were doing something I like to do and they were cool people. But, you know, I would, I would get, you know, ridiculed for that all the time. Like, and then that just became part of my identity. Like, dog, you ain't really black. Like acting black was this thing and it's like, and you like, bro, I, I cannot change my skin color. Like, I'm going to be black, but to have that identity follow me around, it's it felt like something that I couldn't change and that I was stuck with. And that's why it took me to so many levels. And you know, coming into women and people pleasing, and you know, thinking I'm not good enough at sports, like all those things came from that wound of like, you know, as a man who is who is black and can't change that, I'm not black enough, like. Whoa! I'm a failure from the age of seven or eight years old.
1: Wow! I mean, I I can 100 relate relate to that to that wound, you know. But I I think the the value, at least for me, of of going through that wound is you get to transcend it, or you at least have the opportunity to transcend it, you know. And and it took, I had a teacher, you know. I, when I retired from the N.F.I., I really got into yoga, you know, like like hardcore like i was living at a yoga retreat and teaching yoga there and and the main reason i was there is because i was looking for guidance i was looking for mentorship and the head the head yoga teacher there she's a very respected woman and she she taught me a valuable lesson whenever she would hear me complaining about being black or being a man she would she would remind me she said you are not black you are not a man you know mm-hmm. and to what she was pointing to there was something internal that doesn't have a color or a gender that is really the essence of who i was and and it's i mean that's a complex way of saying you know being being black and even being a, a man is is an external shell okay mm. right? and its only purpose is to is to be a filter or a vehicle to some for something more more profound to shine through right cuz if we take the vehicle when we have to and we identify with that we have to identify with the history of it okay and the history and the history of being African American in this country is one that's rooted in, in slavery. And and I'm not saying we 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 forget that it happened, but we but we keep perspective to realize, okay, this is the vehicle through which something deeper, more profound is shining through. Mm. And and for me, like the the experiences that I've I've had through that wound it brought me to that place where I feel like I I can hold both and and with an an appreciation and and a love and a love for being male and being black, you know, and this is I'm just going to get on a soapbox just for a minute because it's 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 coming. It's coming to my mouth. You know, I I see people in the world like struggling, you know, and this is just my my personal observation is this idea of am I am I a man? Am I a woman? Am I can identify? I get it. Right, I get it, and to me, it feels similar to if I was a kid and I looked around and I was like, "People aren't nice to the black people, right? They they have negative stereotypes and they expect that they're going to rob them or do something bad, and they're afraid of them, right?" If I was a kid, I'd have been like, "I'm not black, I'm not black, right? Yeah. Can I be like not black, right?" And People look at me and laugh, you know, and I and I think it's it's the beginning to 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 de attach ourselves from the labels okay but we can't throw away the baby with the bathwater, right we have these bodies and we have to have some kind of way to understand the purpose and how to live in them and how to appreciate them and dare i say how to utilize them
2: i think that's the importance of doing soul work right going on this journey i mean you've been on quite the journey and i know darren's all about the work Darren and I connected initially from me coaching him. And I also teach yoga and mindfulness and meditation and our relationship has evolved way beyond that. But it's, uh, it's being able to see, see another human being on a soul level and also be able to see ourselves on a soul level and not in this flesh or even the color of our skin.
1: Yeah. I mean, and even like, I'm just like blown away that we're having this conversation, (laughs) you know,
0: What, um, because
1: people need to, people need to hear, I think people need to hear these words, even if they don't completely understand them, they need to get into people's consciousness. So people have more options of how to show up.
2: Well, you, I've heard you talk many times about the, the uncomfortable conversations or the hard conversations. And we've talked about this a lot. And I always say the conversation we least want to have is the one that we need to have next. But for my whole life, I've ran from hard conversations because I'm a peacemaker and I just don't want to confront that. And that's just rooted in childhood stuff and, and it's just conditioning, but, um, I, I still, I'm smiling because I often still trip over the same things that I will teach somebody else, but I know this has been my work, but I've heard you say it multiple times and I just love, I mean, some of your, um, your teachings, Ricky, and, and some of your, uh, wisdom is it's, it's, I'm totally on the same page and I've learned a lot from you, especially doing a little bit more research these last couple of days.
1: Oh, i mean to me the, like what i've learned through all of the ups and downs and i think that's the purpose that's the purpose of the challenges is that there's at the end of the day if you pay attention you like you you get something you know and at the end of the day like that there's something inside of me that like if i listen to it you know regardless of the external result i feel good about myself mm. and and there's less confusion you know there's less confusion yeah, it's like
0: at this point in my life and just from like we just talked to uh tommy rosen and he was talking about nobody can tell you what to believe you know people can can, mm. can guide us uh people can show us a way whether it be it it could be a great way for us or it could be you know the wrong way for us but all they can do is give us suggestions and it's up to us to make the the decisions at the end of the day so i like to know like where has your search for meaning your search for purpose in your life, taking you geographically, mentally, spiritually, like take us through some of that journey.
1: Oh, wow. Wow. That's like, that's kind of where I live. So I think I've, I've, you know, once I, I gave myself permission, I started to live my life based on curiosity, you know, and, and it's, it's related to what I just said. And that curiosity was like rooted in that, that voice I hear inside. You know and so it was i was in the nfl and um my my whole life okay in my, in my football career it's like in high school each year i got better you know statistically and then i got to college each year statistically i got better then i got to the nfl okay the first three years statistically i got better right so into that third year 2002 i led the nfl in rushing um, went to my first pro bowl it was all pro uh Eighteen hundred and fifty yards. Okay, and so based on the trajectory, okay, I just knew I was going to break two thousand yards the next year. Okay, this is because right, that's the way it's it's always been. Right, and that next year, that next year began, and it didn't. It didn't go that way. Okay, Um, I got a whole bunch of carries and not a whole bunch of yards. Okay, and (laughs) and so the 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 bubble popped. Okay, that bubble was my last bubble I had left. Okay, it popped. Um, and, and so there was, and I had to start asking myself if it's not this, because it's obvious, it ain't this, not the way I think it is, then it must be something else. And is, like, as soon as I made that shift, I, I, I changed and I started becoming interested in reading, you know? So I started re- just reading books that, that caught my attention and I started gravitating towards books about travel and i started imagining myself like traveling around the world and having experiences that i've only thought about but i never like pulled the trigger to go actually pursue the curiosity all right um and then finally when i retired from the nfl i was gone you know i started to pursue the curiosity and it felt so good that it just became the way that i lived my life and so um, soon after I retired, it became known that part of my retirement was tied to failing, failing a drug test, and so the news news caught caught hold of this, and all these negative stories were were going on. And at the same time, a friend of mine said she was taking a trip to Fiji and Samoa. So I was like, "Hey, <laughs> can I come with you?" <laughs> and so I got out of, got out of Dodge. So I went to Fiji, went to Samoa, and then I was there, and I realized I was really close to Australia, one of my favorite places in the world. And so I said, I'm going to hop on a, a plane and go to Australia. So I flew into Sydney, hung out there for a couple of days. And there's a town in, in um, on the the east coast of Australia called Byron Bay. It's like a hippie town that I visited once. And I always told myself I want to get back. there. So in Sydney, I hopped on the Greyhound first time taking a Greyhound took the Greyhound. I think it was eight hours up to Byron Bay thinking I was going to be there for a couple of days. I photographed a lighthouse and I was walking down the hill. I heard this voice from behind me say, hey. And I turned around and there's this this older, probably in his 50s, white guy with dreads and he's wearing a Bob Marley shirt. And, and if he wasn't wearing a Bob Marley shirt, I probably just would have kept on walking. But I was like, this is interesting. So we ended up talking and connecting. And, and it turned into like a scene from a movie where he became like my mentor for the next month or so. you know, And every day we'd, we'd walk around town and he would – he would talk about nature he was a gardener and he would talk about nature and he had this philosophy about nature he called the corn state and you know just the closest something is to its original state the more vibrant is going to be its expression right and the way he he manifested this this philosophy he's homeless okay meaning he lived in a tent kind of in the middle of the swamp and and he, but is in his most prized possession he has like this 500 hand mill and so he found he was on disability he'd get his check he'd walk into town go to the butcher and he'd buy a couple of pounds of grains and he would come back to his place and he would just grind he'd all day long and then at the end of the day he would he'd okay? and then he would share the bread with 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 us um and i'm telling you something about this bread it's, it was vital it was alive okay and so we spent about a month in, in Byron Bay and him like kind of teaching me his philosophy on life and at the end of the the last week there he had this Bible and he said I want to share this with you. I grew up very religious, but I'd been away from the Bible for a long time, and so I picked up the Bible and I said I'm just gonna start reading and I started like I just became like enthralled you know I was living a little bit the story started to make sense and especially the way I just walked away you know and I was out that like could. I was on that wavelength where I could appreciate what was going on in in this book. And I got to, and I got to the gospels. And there was one verse I came across that changed everything for me. Okay. It was a verse in Matthew. And basically the verse says, if you leave home family and everything looking for me, you will get all of those things a hundred times in return. Okay. And in that moment I felt like, ah, right. Like this is exactly where, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. And this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Okay. And, and I was in that 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 mindset of just really listening to what my heart wanted to do. And I as I was reading the Bible, okay, it might sound crazy, but I think you guys will get it, because I need to go to the mountains and fast, okay? At this time of my life, I had never fasted before, and I was in this town in, in Australia, and I didn't know where the mountains were. So I right, got on Google, and I said, are there any mountains close to Byron Bay? And I saw northern... Northern Australia, I can hop on a greyhound and be there in, in a day and a half. And so I hopped on the Greyhound and I went up to the mountains and I fasted for a week. Okay? And, I mean I, I could tell a bunch of stories about that that week fasting in the in the wilderness. But but when I came down off the hill, I had some kind of some kind of clarity. Okay. And and Stephen and I, my my mentor, we had planned to to fly to India to to go rub hash in the in the Himalayas. Um, but after coming down from the mountain, I had this clarity that I need to go, I need to go back home and there's some unfinished work I have to do. Um, and so, and it was funny, I was watching a Raiders game. This is a cool, they're, like one of those cool, synchronistic stories. I was in, I was in a small town in Thailand about to take a trip to India. Okay. I was about to go and I was waiting for the tuk tuk in Chiang Mai, Thailand at this little hostel. Okay. And I'm sitting down waiting for the tuk-tuk about to, go to Ty- about to go to India and probably never, no one would ever see me again. Okay? And this little guy comes up and he turns on the television. Okay. And, and the Raiders <laughs> are playing the Tampa Bay Bucks. And I'm thinking, no way. Okay. I'm way out here and across the globe. And the guy turns on and there's a football game. So I got the message. So I got on the phone and I, and I got the first flight back to L.A. because I realized there was work that I needed to, to come do. And so that brought me back and that's, (laughs) that was that journey of where, where my, uh, my impulse, my intuition took me during that year.
0: Okay. So what, when you, upon your return to America, you said there was work to be done. What did that look, what did that work look like? So, you know, I, I
1: imagined if I would have gone to India, right. Gone on that path. I really just, what I I did, kept on moving away from the world. You know, and I might have found like a, a nice spot and just lived lived there. But I, I felt pulled that there's there's work I actually need to do in the world. And because of the way I left and that I needed to come back and clear my name and, and like get on with my life, not run away from mm-hmm. from my life. Um, but But at the same time, I also realized that to move forward in my life, I have to develop a, a skill. You know, was, I had this moment in Australia. I found this beautiful piece of land that I, I wanted to purchase. and But in order to purchase the land, I had to become a, a citizen of Australia. And at that point, I was, I, was all, I was all for it. So I started filling out the paperwork. And I got to a section where they asked, basically, what are you going to do when you get here? You know, and so it was a list of like 250 occupations. And I started going down the list. You know? <laughs> and I got to the bottom of the list and I realized, I don't know how to do anything but play football. So, so when I when I came back, I, I had to like have this talk with myself and like outside of a football player, like what what is it that I actually want to do? And so I, I took inventory of my life and tried to say like, what are the things that feel best to me? And what I realized is what felt best to me was sharing insights with people that help them like, have some kind of release and feel better. And so I thought that's like uh, someone in like the counseling or the healing arts. And so I started looking for programs. And I, I started studying Ayurveda because um, part of my football career careers, you know, people don't think about this a lot. But in order to be a successful professional athlete, the one thing you have to be able to do is heal, mm, right? Because yeah. if you're hurt, you, you, you can't play. Right. And so I, you know, I spent so much time and energy and, and resources trying to recover and heal my body that I came across these really interesting alternative uh, modalities that were really that worked. And so I, you know, my curiosity led me to want to understand how they work, one, so that I could do them on myself, but also so that I could help other people. And so that really became like a a theme in my life and a place where I've started to, I found ultimate meaning of developing skills that help me be more helpful to people and helping other people
2: feel better. I love that you landed on But in
1: order to do that, but in order to do that, I had to come back and play a couple more years and show people, you know, that I'd grown and matured through the process to develop um, the kind of respect um, that would allow me to do the kind of work that I, I feel I'm here to do.
2: So coming back and playing a couple of years gave you closure and allowed you to, to at least kind of uh, turn the page on football, but but do it the right way. And it's almost a way of kind of doing it your way and not being at the mercy of all the naysayers and letting them run with the narrative of whatever story they were creating around you. Yeah.
1: And the, the, the big thing that I, that I, that was different when, there was two things that were huge when I came back one, you know, the year I was off, I did a lot of yoga, a lot of meditation, like a lot of work to like heal, you know, to heal. Cause yeah, a lot of work to heal. So I came back a different person. And what I found was in order to like get into the zone, before it was more the rage from the pain and when i started to go there and look for the rage from the pain when i came back it wasn't there so much and so, and so it took me a, like a, a way to find another way to like tune into that to that place and and i utilized what i learned in yoga and meditation um and so like my my pregame you know routine went from listening to music to get me hype to listening to the kind of music that got me into that soulful place you know and I noticed that my body recovered faster because it, it wasn't so rev revved, revved up that I was I was competing and performing more from a from a enlightened higher state than more from that animalistic um, like rage that I think you, you have to access to be a successful athlete.
0: I feel I feel myself tapping more into that um enlightened place because i mean like you just said i don't before the games i used to listen to straight trap music straight it, some with some 808s like a hard beat like but now it's like i'm more like you might catch me listening to some piano music meditating like yeah uh some soulful samples like things like that because i don't know i i can ride the roller coaster if i allow myself to uh emotionally just energetically like i can be high i can be low like I can just be, you know, my ego can be on swole after a couple of plays. But then, like, if, if if one thing goes wrong, you know, sometimes I can be in my head like, "Why am I even building a house here? I need to I need to tear it down. like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna live here. They're <laughs> gonna shit me out of town." So it's like finding that ba- find that balanced state where it's like not too excited, not too fearful, not too worried, but just like, yeah, it, it, and it allows you in a way to have a competitive advantage. That's that's what I feel like has allowed me to elevate my career to where it is today because it's not the rage to prove something it's more so the being and knowing that i'm called to be here right now and this is my current platform
1: well yeah and also the expression of our gifts Mm. you know like to me like like as i as i matured and i got older in the nfl the the like that anxiety was always there you know if i don't perform things (laughs) but it it transformed into a confidence of this is what i've been doing you know and i i had a track record of looking back of you know the eight years of being anxious and realizing i still performed and there is this this peace and this this freedom of just i go out there and, and do my thing
0: yeah
2: straight up. well what you were sharing darren it's, it just feels like i mean i'm wearing the shirt that says find your center but it's like that that saying the middle ground is the holy ground mm-hmm. where we're not too high mm-hmm. not too low and middle doesn't mean like content just going through the motions it means steady you know, steady and like grounded in the body, connected to the heart or connected to the breath, right? So we can be in our body. And when we're making decisions from our center, we're going to make better decisions. We're not making them out of reaction or fear. And ultimately that is like the ultimate healing state. So Ricky, how do you, how does your body feel today? Like are, are the practices, the meditation, the yoga, I know you're into acupuncture, all you, the Ayurvedic practices, how does your physical body feel today after all the wear and tear of being a starting running back in the NFL for so many years? You know, it's,
1: it feels, I still feel, you know, cause I, I, I was a big time running back for a long, so I still feel a lot of the hits, right. but what I realized halfway through my career is that we have to balance the intensity of the game with the intensity of our recovery and our healing. Mm. And so I spent a lot of time, I mean, hours, hours, hours of body work. And again, I, I took classes to become a body worker. So in the classes, we work on each other and I, and I work on myself all the time. And, and what I've taken from those experiences is, re- is really a way to come to terms with with what occurred to my body as a football player. And, and to put it simply, you know, when, when you have a uh, impact, Okay, that there's swelling and there's things that, that have to go on for the body to be able to recover. And it, it, this is related to something that we just talked about, the highs and the lows. And I don't think it's so much about avoiding the highs and the lows because the nature of life is that it's, it fluctuates. Mm. And I think the, the resiliency of, of humans, of life, and the resiliency that manifests in our brain is the ability to recover, The ability to recover the ability to go to the high and then come back to homeostasis to go to the low and then come back that's the joy of life i think the issue is when we go to the high and we get stuck there Mm. or we go to the low and we get stuck there okay that's trauma that's the effect of trauma and so in the body work that i've like that i've received and i've learned to do it really is just about bringing movement bringing energy blood flow back into certain areas of the life because of the body because the body has a tremendous ability to heal once there's life force and movement right we have this adaptability and i think what happens is when we take so many hits and so much trauma it puts a burden on that adaptability and we don't and we we only can adapt in a, in a short range and so anything we can do in our life with our thinking with our movement to bring movement and flow into all areas of our lives I think that's the key to to healing all kinds of trauma, because what I'm saying is is physical impact, but we all have had emotional impacts and and the trauma works the same way. We get stuck in this emotional place and we don't have the flexibility to move to move out of it. And the more we can be flexible with with the people in our lives and the way we interact and how we interact, it brings that movement back so that we can resolve all of these things, because we've we've all been through it. We've all been through a war
2: infinite flexibility. One of my friends and meditation teachers, David G., um, has a meditation called infinite flexibility. And so, yeah, physical flexibility, mental flexibility, but just being, being agile, being able to be in the flow, and again, just come back, continue to, to return to homeostasis or to return to our center. What does your self-care game look like today? What are some of your practices? Do you have a morning routine? Is it consistent? Uh, what does that look like?
1: Yes. So I mean, I'm, I'm 45 now. So I've kind of played with all of this. And I figured out something that, that works for me. And so my my when I came back to the NFL after retiring, my my hobby was taking classes. So I have like a tool bag of like modalities, techniques, so many. And at first it was like, which ones? How do I integrate them into a practice? And, and what I realize now is the, the first part of my practice is listen to my body. You know, because it's it's great to have a lot of techniques, but if you don't have the receptivity to to listen and pay attention, then it becomes confusing. And so listen I listen to my body. And depending on what my body wants, I have things in the in the tool bag to to treat them. Okay. But the thing that I do every day is when I when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is a prayer, you know? And it's like a prayer to remind myself of that I'm not here for myself, that I'm here to play a part in something larger than just me. And I like starting my morning with that reminder. Just, it, it's it's a daily thing. And then to support that, uh, after that, I I have uh, a few more prayers that I do, and just to remind myself that I'm not alone, that I that I have help. Okay, um, and then and then I do I'll do sun salutations, um, which that's the minimum of what I do. And if I have more time or my body needs more, um, that can change into movement like tai chi or qigong, breathing exercises. Um, it could turn into a, a longer yoga session., uh, it could turn into a longer meditation session or just laying on the ground in in shavasana and just going deep into relaxing different parts of my body. Um but I, I try to set aside at least an hour and a half every morning to to like to ground myself in in my path.
0: How long did it take you to get settled into that hour and a half? because now, like i've i mean i'm I'm five years into you know, a journey of seeking healing and seeking uh, growth. And there are mornings where, you know, sometimes I'm like, like the, the meetings, you got to be there at treatment at six in the morning. Uh, you know, you up at five or maybe sometimes even before. And it's like, you know, I try to do the 30, 30 minutes is like the longest I can do like a normal day. Or I feel like I can do like, how long did it take you to really carve out that 90 minutes and feel okay with creating that block and not worrying about anything else outside of it. Yeah.
1: I mean, it, it took, it took until I was in my mid forties, far after retiring and, and to a place where I, I, I create my own schedule. So I make sure to, to put that in. But when I was a football player, I, ha- I was at half an hour like that. It's that, that sweet spot. I would make sure to give myself a half an hour. And then some days if I was feeling like really beat up, I would try to wake up a little bit earlier. It's funny. Like the, the last, the last two years of my, of my career in training camp, I, I did like a, a self-inflicted uh, meditation challenge, and it was a specific meditation technique that took takes about forty five minutes. And so I'd get up in training camp because I wanted to see if I was meditating consistently. How would it affect how I went through training camp? And so it, it was it was a difficult practice, um, but I did it. And the the main area that I focused on towards the end of my career was the time we have after meetings on Saturday night, you know, when we're done, that that's when I would really go into like, my my like meditation routine. And then in the morning before the game, I had about a 45 minute sun salutation and a specific meditation that that I did. So during the week, it was hard, I had that half an hour, but I would take that the night after the night before the game and a little bit the morning before the game to really like that was my weekly practice.
2: Can you talk a little bit about the importance of building the relationship with your own mortality or coming to terms with our own mortality or allowing death to be our teacher? Because I think it's a very, very important uh, teaching that I think in our society, a lot of people don't talk about it or they just kind of turn a blind eye to it. And in my experience and what I'm learning is that death can actually teach us to live. Um, What are your thoughts on all that? Oh, I mean, it's one of my
1: favorite things to, to talk about um you know i just because doing body work i i've i come to appreciate if i'm working on someone's head and i start to put my awareness on their feet i become aware of connections between the, the the dura or the fascia in their head and the fascia in their feet i feel the connection so wherever we put our awareness that's where the mind goes okay and the reality is that death is coming for all of us okay and i remember, I remember when i was seven okay i had this big fight with my mom Right. And I decided I don't want to live anymore. Okay, I, I made that decision. I'm out of here. Okay, This woman is crazy. I'm out of here. <laughs> right. And, and, and so I started to imagine myself not living. And I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Right. Even when I went to death, like me existing, I, I couldn't imagine myself not existing. So I gave up on that idea. Okay. So, so I realized that whenever my experience whenever we die here, we don't, we don't cease to exist where we keep existing and so the future is coming okay it's coming and you know we can think about thinking about next week okay if i think about next week right i can start to do things now to prepare me for next week right that's the whole idea of we know we're playing the patriots and so we get the (laughs) game plan and we prepare ourselves to get ready to play the patriots okay right we're more prepared for the future okay and so i think when we start to think about what is beyond at least putting our attention there okay right it starts to, even if we're not we're not consciously aware of it, it starts to create these neural connections that allow us to start to prepare for whatever's coming, just for the simple fact that it's coming, okay? And in, in, in another way I think about it, and I use this one a lot, you know, I go to that moment on my deathbed, because again, I know it's coming. So I go there, I go there, and I think like, how do I want to feel? <laughs> Mm -hmm. I'm allowed to do that, right? How do I want to feel, okay? And what I the sense I get is there's there's certain things that I feel like I need to accomplish to feel good at that moment. And that check-in reminds me to make sure on some level I'm attending to those things that are going to feel good at that point because I would like to feel good in that moment. You know, and and from what I've heard, people say as as we're leaving this 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 earthly existence, that our whole life flashes in front of us. Okay? I've heard that a lot. A lot of people say that. And the only the only thing I have to compare is when I picked up the phone to retire from the NFL. Okay, my whole life <laughs> flashed in front of me, right? And I and I had this like this realization of wow, so much of my identity has been tied to me as a football player. Okay. So I, I had some glimpse of a, of a resonant experience of this moment where we reflect and we get this whole picture, and I think to be aware of the whole picture of our existence now, you know, helps us like step like step up to the challenge and and do our best to, to, to to express something that feels good to
2: us. Can you talk a little bit more about that phone call, and what that phone call? What was the obviously? Was there more to it? I mean, if I've I've heard some of your story about um, you had maybe an ultimatum of of either not not either taking opiates or not taking opiates or taking opiates or smoking weed and that was the option and you chose not to take to take opiates is that is that kind of the story or part of it?
1: Uh, I mean that's a that's a version of the story. <laughs> you know? I mean we can talk about that now because we have more. F- more uh we're more liberal in our ability to talk about cannabis and to talk about opiates because the people are more informed but this was back in 2004 where when you (laughs) talked about these things you typically did them in private and so it was it was a there was a confluence of events confluence of events going on but the the general message through the confluence was Uh, that there are experiences i need to have and staying stuck to this identity as a football player is going to keep me from having the experiences i need to have Mm -hmm. right that's what we talked about earlier we get the voices right i got the whisper saying walk away but i said i can't i can't i can't and so i made a deal with myself i said if i fail another drug test i'm going to walk away that's like and if i somehow don't fail a drug test it means that i'm supposed to play right so it's about a week away from the season um, I, it was the last test, so I knew if I pass this one, it's the, I'm in, okay? <laughs> and uh, I so was, I was in the Bahamas with, with a good friend of mine, uh, a good friend of mine who, who has some property down there. So we're, we're hanging in the Bahamas, and I kept telling my sister, because in the NFL's drug program, if you fail a test, seven days later, you get a FedEx, okay? And so I told my sister, go by the house and see. And this was the moment of truth, okay? And I got the call from my sister, you got a FedEx okay and then it's like the world started to like wobble my heart started beating fast But i was like okay here we are you know and and so i was talking to my friend who i respect a lot and he's like you know go for it and so i went into his office and the at the the letter it says you know if you have any questions call Dr. Brown okay Dr. Brown's the head of the NFL's drug policy so 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 i called Dr. Brown you know and he's like ah you know sorry. And I said, nah, you don't have to worry about me. <laughs> I, said, I said, you don't got to worry about me. I said, I'm done. You know, I said, I said, thank you. This has been great and have a good life. And then hung up the phone. Um, That was the call. And it was, it was like, again, but before I, before I was, I was walking to make the call. That's when everything, that whole life flashed in front of me. And I realized I was giving all of that up. And, and I didn't know how it was going to feel when I hung up the phone, but I hung up the phone and I felt this huge weight lift off my shoulders, huge weight. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, and this, this freedom of, I, I'm not stuck in that place of that, that's that place of having to keep proving myself over and over and over and over and over again, that I've proven myself. And now I've earned the right to do what I really want to do And the reality of it outside of my mind was I have enough money to do it. Right. I. There's nothing telling me I can't. It's just a matter of owning, owning the opportunity and making the difficult choice. And I needed to fail a drug test to like, push me, push me a little bit more, but you know, that's what happened.
2: It comes back to the whole idea of death because the one constant in this life really is that in order to achieve something, we have to sacrifice something else. It's, it's dying to the old or releasing the old so we can invite in the new. So um, mm. it kind of all does circle back to the message around death and it sounds like once you were able to let that go i mean listening to you articulate in your wisdom and the path that you're on it feels like you are way in your way more in your purpose now than you've ever been in your life
1: yeah and that was that was the commitment i mean i didn't i wasn't aware that's what I was doing but that was the commitment I was making in that moment and it's and i'm you know i i people don't think about it when they when they when they hear me speak but i I consider myself a very like practical person in the sense if something works i'm gonna do it you know and if something doesn't work i'm probably gonna stop doing it
0: Mm -hmm. man i'm i'm over here just reminiscing over uh my fedex days from the league um all all the (laughs) fedex oh my god i have fedex ptsd yeah no no seriously my parents my parents have fedex ptsd (laughs) letters coming to the house and I'm stuffing them in the trash can and trying and trying try to hide, hide oh them and God. stuff <laughs> but it's like you talked about um that weight being lifted off your shoulders i I felt that like I was in the I think I was in like a Lincoln town car riding through like the New England because I went to detox in uh Boston and I went to rehab in Maine and just like sitting there and and thinking and listening to myself for once and like knowing that I was really taking a pause and really taking a step like that's when. Mm-hmm. I felt that similar release because I knew I was heading into a place where, hey, I'm actually gonna make a decision for me now. And whereas before, in the previous 25 years, I had never made a decision for me. It was always what aligned with, you know, what we talked about in the beginning, like what everybody else was doing, like yeah. what what I should be doing, like what it, and it was just like, I don't know, man, I'm just thinking about those FedEx memories and that time in that car going to <laughs> rehab. I'm like, man, like our this is so similar. <laughs> Ah, oh, FedEx man, that's real. <laughs> so,
1: Doctor Brown, huh?
0: Doctor Brown's. God. I sent Doctor Brown so many emails, lying, <laughs> like trying to finesse my way out, out of a situation, like just.
1: Man, what a job, huh?
2: He was the <laughs> he's the boogeyman.
0: <laughs> man, wow, what time, man? But.
2: Hey Ricky, I know um, we probably have to let you go in a few minutes, but I just wanted to one. I wanted to ask one thing: Would you be willing to give Darren? um uh, a reading my, oh, my i would love, love to it. treat him i I'll, I'll you can send me the invoice <laughs> but darren just celebrated a big five-year sobriety birthday and i would like to gift him that and i think i know you have a gift but to be able to share your gift with him and tap him into the astrological world and uh get him dialed in
1: oh my god that would be an honor
0: yeah i gotta, I gotta ask my mom what time i was born at
2: I was telling, I was giving yeah. him the breakdown to figure out what is rising and what his moon is, and uh, get all that dialed in so we can connect the dots. Yeah, I mean,
1: when I when I first was introduced to astrology, it was that year off. It changed my life because it, it gave me a like. Because I think the reason we we uh, we we follow what other people learn from us is because that's all that we have available to us. Mm. And when I found astrology, it tuned me into like a, a bigger a bigger parent's vision for me you know, and that made more, that resonated more with me.
2: Um, mm. So
1: yeah, it's, it's, it's a great lens to understand ourselves and our purpose.
2: I just moved to uh, San Diego. I live in Solana beach and um, I'm moving from Arizona to San Diego, but just watching the moon and the impact the moon has on the, 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 the tide and the ocean and the power of it. I've never been more into it than, than I have today. And so uh, as I was hearing some of your story and talking to our, our mutual friend uh, Brian North about it. I was like, yeah, we got to get Darren dialed in on this. No doubt.
0: Oh, I, I got a, I got a question. Um, we just interviewed Brandon Marshall earlier and we were talking about how like you guys had a, uh mm. a conversation about him going to see, uh, the doctor at McLean hospital, Dr. Gunderson. Yeah yeah. 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 How, did how, how did, um, how did you first get connected to him in order to pass that along to Brandon?
1: Yeah. So th- this was, this was, um, FedEx. Okay. April 11. <laughs> April 11, the FedEx came and this was like, I was I was scheduled to go I was it was after my year suspension. And I was I was going through the interviews to be reinstated. So I was booked to go to New York and talk to the two doctors there and then to go talk to Dr. Gunderson to get back in. Mm. And I ended up failing a test a week before I was going to be reinstated. And so um, the, like, when I called the NFL, Dr. Brown, when I called the NFL, and and they said, well, I'm sorry, you know, we're going to cancel your appointments because, you know, obviously you're not going to be reinstated. And I said, no, 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 no. I said, I still I said, I still want to go. And I said, I still want to go and just have these conversations. So they said, fine. So I went to New York and I had some amazing conversations with these two doctors. And then I went to Boston and I started talking to Dr. Gunderson and we just connected. You know, we just were really connected. And he said he said, I think you could really benefit from intensive psychotherapy. He said those words and they kind of stuck with me. And so I went back to California and the NFL said, obviously, we're not going to reinstate you. And then I said, would you guys support if I went to Boston and I worked with Dr. Gunderson for a longer period of time? And they said yes. And so I, I moved moved my family. We went to Boston and I spoke to Dr. Gunderson five days a week for six months. Right, And part of the program was also I did groups every day. So really just another opportunity to really get to know myself and work on myself with someone that I really respected. And, and it was a, a magical moment for me, because I had the the realization of a further realization of what I wanted to be doing with my life. You know, after talking to Dr. Gunderson, the sense I got is, I don't really want to be playing football, I want to be doing more of what you're doing. Mm. And so, you know, out of that time, I got that clarity. And it was just so meaningful that when, when Brandon mentioned that he had met Dr. Gunderson, I shared my experience and I said it's like it's worth it. You know? he's just Dr. Gunderson he just had a way of of like being like the, the, the old wise guy that like steps out of the way and lets your lets your story unfold and, and he helped me really come to terms with, with who I was in a way that made it that made it feel good to be myself.
0: Yeah mm. I, mean, I, I uh I read a quote about you saying that uh, you were talking about celebrities, but in general, like people um, giving permission for you to be yourself. And, you know, I hear that in the story that you just said, in the story that you shared with your mentor in Australia. And I know that you continuing to speak and grow in the way that you are is uh, giving other people permission as well. And I'm just grateful to have the opportunity to talk to you today, man. It's, it's, uh, this has been amazing. No, I mean, you know, to me, like,
1: and I don't, I'm not even saying I have anything to do with it, but, but I'm saying to to have this conversation with someone who I, who I respect for what they do on the football field, to, like to, to your sensitivity and your self-awareness, like, it makes me feel like, like everything I went through is worth it. If, if people coming behind me can, imbr- can embrace this and be themselves, can have permission. So. So I like, I, I'm so touched by this conversation and, and like, so impressed with, with who you are as a man and what you're doing with your life that this, this is, this has been an amazing experience. For
0: sure.
2: Yeah. yeah. Thanks Ricky, man. I mean, just to sit back and witness and to see, uh, um, you know, two, two athletes, two humans, two souls that, you know, at some point were you know, I feel like Darren's still in the football world, still in his career, but um, I talk about it all the time and, maybe I'm speaking for him, but I do feel like if football were to end for him tomorrow, that he's going to be good because he has a purpose beyond the sport, just like you do and how you found that. And I think, um, you know, I think having that leading up to before your career ends, if you're an athlete out there or whatever you're doing to to be able to find a purpose beyond or an identity beyond, um, your sport or your job title, wherever that is. And, um, you know I know you've said it before where part of a celebrity's purpose is to give people permission and to to sit here and watch you do it is uh it's an honor man it's an honor to have this conversation so thank you.
1: No thanks for this and the one thing I I, w- I want to say as I, as I leave is the the one thing that I've like recently been been integrating more is not throwing away the baby with the bathwater and that all of the things that I learned as a football player, mm. have given me the ability to overcome the difficulties that I've, that I've faced, mm. right? Because just the model of football is, it doesn't matter who's coming into town, we got a game plan and we have to go execute. So in my life, as soon as I can get clear on who is the opponent, like what is the challenge, okay? My mindset goes into, okay, you know, throw everything I got at it mm. you know, and see how it goes. And I think, that That is just as much the key to my success as any of the meditation or the yoga that I've done. But that that warrior mindset is necessary to be successful in life.
2: Mm. I look forward to doing some yoga with you one day soon. We oh yeah, blow it out. Back.
1: Yeah. Looking forward to it. Well, thank you, fellas.
0: Yeah, appreciate you, man. Thanks, brother.
1: Sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Peace.
2: Yeah. What's up, Comeback Stories family? It's Donnie dropping in here. So did you know that Darren and I's relationship started by me being his personal development, mindfulness, and mindset coach? I want to let you know about both my one-on-one coaching program, The Shift, and my group mastermind, Elevate Your Purpose. These coaching programs are specifically designed for people who are ready to take the next step in their purpose and level up their career, personal finances, and have more connected, deep, and meaningful relationships. My gift and part of my purpose is to help others take that next step in leveling up their lives so that they can have a greater impact on the lives of others, create success that's sustainable yet evolves and grows and help build a legacy that will outlive your life. If this is calling you, just go to donnystarkins.com and apply for either one of my programs.